Red Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Getting a little bit closer to opening day. We do know who the opening day starter is. Going to kind of talk about some pitching, some cuts got made today, some players basically optioned down to the alternate site. Minor League Baseball won't be starting until May first, so they'll all be hanging out down there. And LeBron James, now a part owner of the Boston Red Sox. We'll have some thoughts on that. Jason Kelly, Andrew Dwan with me tonight. The old midweek rotation. What's going on, guys? Yeah, good to be on. Good, good. So what are we? We're Today's the 17th, so we got, what, 13, 14 days? Actually, two weeks from tomorrow is opening day. You guys going to be able to see it it's live? for? Oh, I'll make sure. I okay. I have no shame in bringing the laptop to work and streaming that. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm gonna be ready. Yeah, I um I put in for the afternoon off, but uh, we'll see if I get it. I'll be able to see the first couple hours, worst case. But yeah, so all right, so Eduardo Rodriguez today looking like an ace. If you're looking for an ace. Look at his pitching lines because they're very AC. Five innings pitched, only gave up two hits, one earned run. Still, I don't think has walked anybody in his two starts so far. And for the second start in a row, six strikeouts. So are we going to get this all It's year? amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I hope so. I hope for the Sox sake and his sake. Because, you know, we'll go far and he'll get paid. This is amazing. To miss a year, go down with myocarditis where you can't even work out. And now he's faced over 40 batters and hasn't even walked a guy. This was crazy. He was mowing him down today. Uh, he would have had a perfect first if Devers didn't botch a ball hit by Cruz. Um, it's crazy, you know. I was thinking maybe they'd be able to get a little bit of a discount with an extension, but the way he's going, I don't even think he wants to talk extension at this point. Wait till the end of the season and just name your price. Yeah, he, he's looked awesome. And it's the efficiency for me that's like really stood out because his pitches per inning, like he's not throwing more than 15, 16 pitches per inning. You know, he's keeping that right down. And that's like, when you've seen the worst of Eduardo Rod Rodriguez, it's when he's throwing like 20 pitches plus per inning. And he just can't seem to get out of it. And he's slowing down. We haven't even seen that. Like, he's just, he's been mowing guys down. He's been very efficient. Um, it's a huge, huge step forward for him after, you know, missing last year and, you know, having all the health problems that he had. I, I mean, I've been saying it all offseason. He's your, he's your number one guy unless the health problems creep up again. But so far, it looks like that's not going to be an issue. He looks like he's in top form already. So good news for the Red Sox. They had to make him. The opening day starter. You're an idiot if you don't. Um, hopefully this keeps up. Hopefully he stays healthy and he keeps pitching as efficiently as he is because he looks awesome right now. Yeah, you make some good points because in 2017, 2018, the pitch count was in the 90s by sometimes not even the fifth inning. And 
Um, you yeah. know, with the ball kind of being a little bit different, I, I think that's going to help pitchers a little bit. I guess I saw somewhere because I'm a I was a huge anti juice baseballs fan and and you know the rest of the league kind of came around and um, I, I guess the balls are going to die what six to twelve feet shorter is what they're estimating so far. Yeah, I think that's what they said. Yeah, yeah, so you can get some quick outs that way and the strikeouts are up though. Like he's in the zone and and this is a different guy and. I really haven't had many concerns about the the heart thing because he, I'm sure he's been tested and and put through the gauntlet and and so for me the the question was consistency and rust what's he going to look like after all that time off and he's looked as sharp as ever so it's really good to see and another notable thing about his injury history it's always been lower body never upper body as far as the arm goes always had a healthy arm so i'm supremely confident he can he should be good to go and alex cora today named him the opening day starter um i mean who was the runner up at this point who was the close second <laughs> yeah <laughs> I would love to know people who are shocked by this. Yeah, right. Yeah, people who are shocked. I'm like, who are you expecting to be named the opening day start? Nick Pavetta? Like, I don't, <laughs> the, I don't understand. It was question. going to be Rodriguez, like, sure, hopefully by a landslide. So I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. I mean, maybe before camp, Evaldi is a sentimental guy. I think a lot of people love Evaldi, but. Um, the performance, especially his last time out, just not quite there yet. Um, so it had to be, had to be Erod. So that's uh, that's finally out of the way. No more suspense. I also saw a tweet. I think this also was by Chris Cotillo. Erod is the seventh different opening day starter in eight years. Sales the only one who's done it twice. Sounds about right. Well, so, yeah, we had Evaldi last year, right? And then it would have been Sale the year before. Yeah. And then the year I, before I that. Actually, was that Price would have had to have been one of those years, right? And then 2016. Yep, 2016 was Price. 2015 was Buckles. 2014 <gasps> was John Lester. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. So, I forgot that about that. It's oh. been quite the quite the gamut of of starters, yeah. And I'm assuming next year it'll be Chris Sale, unless Hauk like comes up and blows everyone away and wins the Rookie of the Year and finishes seventh in the Cy Young. I mean, that's the only way I could see Chris Sale I mean, not I, being the. Why not Erod though? Yeah. Well, he's got to get I signed. Mean, He's got to get signed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He, to me, he doesn't seem like a guy that would want to go elsewhere if they presented him with a reasonable contract. Um, and I do think that they're going to want to get that done. He's only going to be 28 when they're going to sign him. So if you give him a five-year deal, four and, a, four and an option, I have zero concern about signing a guy through his age 32 to 33 season. I mean, that's ideal in my opinion. Well, we've kind of oh, hammered don't. on this, but Jason, yeah, what what's a <clears throat> what's a preseason extension for Erod look like to you? Uh, I would say 4 years maybe in the 150 million range, really? something like that. No, come on. Yeah. That's like more yeah, than a sale. 
150 for four? No, yeah, that's the value on pitchers is going up. Trevor, that's value on I would have said, I no. would have said like five and ninety. Five and nine. I don't think he's taking five and ninety. That's the problem. Like, if he's healthy and he's back to form, he's not taking five and ninety. Uh, <laughs> now, now to be fair, I don't know. I don't. I don't know who his agent is. I. It, I don't think it's Boris. But the value on pitchers has skyrocketed lately, and I feel like Eduardo Rodriguez is going to capitalize on that. Maybe five. You know, five one twenty. I don't know. Like, well, I just feel like he's going to ask for a lot more than the Red Sox are willing to give. I. I'm kind of not as optimistic about it. I do think they'll sign him, but well, five five at one twenty is roughly twenty four million a year. Um, I could see him getting that. Yeah, you said four at fifty. I think you misspoke though, because that's like thirty seven and a half million a year. Yeah, no, I, oh, okay. that's probably around. Yeah, that's probably more than I was expecting. Yeah, yeah okay. no, I, I I think five one twenty is more, but I would I would expect. Yeah, yeah, you guys are way high. Maybe I'm just way off, but I think preseason it's probably more like a three year deal. I think it's more in the team friendly range. You guys are more at Ian, at market. If it was range. a three year deal. If that was a three-year deal, that would be great for the player and the team at that point because then he could hit free agency at like 30-31 too yeah. and try to get another payday in a new CBA. So um, I have no idea who his agent is. It, um, Scott Buccino, no idea. Never heard of him. Okay. So I, I couldn't even garner a guess. Is that is that um, Boris's like Italian cousin? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> His secretary but got promoted. Yeah, I, yeah. I have no idea. So I don't know if there's any history with this guy in having his client sign, you know, pre-market deals or anything. So I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. Yeah. I ISE baseball is what uh baseball reference says. I'm I'm not familiar with that agency. Uh, you gave a name, so you know that's might be who he's, you know, who's the head of the agency. But um, yeah, I just feel like it's more team friendly, and and this is why I think that a preseason contract would be for a guy like Erod, and I honestly believe Erod hates the idea of pitching anywhere else. I think he just Boston's his comfort zone, and that's where he wants to say. Like Christian Vasquez last summer was terrified they were going to trade him. They mm. they were sending people up to the front office, literally to the front office, getting clarification whether Vasquez was the player's name that was getting kicked around. Uh, Bogarts wanted to stay. Um, Kevin Pillar wanted to stay, which is weird because we were going to finish last. Why not go win somewhere? Not that Colorado was a winner. He hates I, moving. I, yeah, well, true. Yeah. I hate moving too. I dread, you know, I'm going to be moving out of this apartment probably in less than a year. And I'm already dreading it. My girlfriend's such a pack rat too. I don't know if she can hear me say this, but oh, this is going to be way more <laughs> oh, toast. One of the same situations. Yeah. I could just up and leave in my car the next day. I just buy a new couch. I'm oh. good. Yeah. <laughs> my wife has everything. Yeah. You yeah. gotta, you gotta purge. You gotta purge when you move. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm, I, I'm not even kidding. I, I'm not gonna move the camera, but this table right here, it's, it's a, it's a cribbage board table, and it's a custom Red Sox one that I had made. And I'm like, do I, do I take this? Like, you know, <laughs> I, oh, I, I would I, take that at least. Yeah, come yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, probably. But yeah, so anyway, enough about my personal moving situation. Although it is going to be someplace really warm, I will say. 
Um, so anyway, so yeah, so Erod's the the uh, opening day starter. Um, so yesterday's pitcher, not so good. I I was relentless with releasing propaganda, trying to desperately find a way to get this guy on the roster, Tanner Houck. But he goes out in the first inning, walks two guys. That wasn't good enough, so he hit the next guy, and <laughs> um, and it just. I didn't I didn't see it, but the uh the stat line pretty ugly. Uh two and two thirds. Three earned runs, four walks, one strikeout. That was a much different outing than his start before when he was hitting ninety-eight on the gun and um you know, showing us some stuff we hadn't we hadn't seen before. So um so what what are our expectations with him? Like he hasn't really demonstrated a third pitch yet, correct? That's the problem. Nope. Yeah, I mean, until he does that, you, your options are limited. How many two pitch starters are there in the league? Any? I don't think so. Uh, Glass now, Tyler Glass. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. And that he created what? Is, what is he calling it? His slutter or his slider cutter? <laughs> so I, yeah. <laughs> So I, at this point, if he doesn't figure out that third pitch that he can throw when he doesn't have control of the other two, uh, that's a that's a bullpen guy, and that sucks. So hopefully the alt site um, he can work on it every four days. <laughs> he's really gonna have to take a step up, and I think his best thing that he's got going for him right now is that Brian Mata is gonna be out, or else you know he's. He, he'd just be falling, you know, behind Seabold, Mata, um, whoever else they have down there, and he would just be falling down the ranks in terms of, you know, spot starters. So he's got some time to work on this and get right, and he has to do it quick. I forgot yeah. about Seabold, but, yeah. Go ahead, Jason. Yeah, I'm a little concerned that, like, it, so when he came up at the end of last season, like, it, we all said it. This guy needs a third pitch. Okay. So how long has he had to sort of work on that? And he comes into spring training and still isn't featuring a third pitch. So either the Red Sox failed on him because they didn't work him hard enough to develop a third pitch in the offseason or at least start to develop a third pitch, or he failed because they told him, hey, you really need three pitches if you want to be a starter, it, You know, ideally four, but let's at least get you to three. Come into spring next year, show us what you got, and he – either didn't put the work in or he tried and couldn't do it. I don't know. Um, I don't know how, you know, developing your own third pitch goes on your own, but yeah, this is a problem. It, you can't be a starter in the major leagues with just two pitches. It's, it, it's not, it's not really going to work. Glass now might be the rare exception where he's just going to combine a bunch of his own pitches. Cause he's so nasty that he can get away with that. Tanner, Tanner Houck is not as nasty as Tyler glass now is. He's got good velocity. His stuff looks like it's it's there, but with just two pitches, that's not going to be enough. So I don't know what's going to happen to him when he goes to the outside. Are they going to tell him, okay, now's the time to really crack down on this third pitch. Let's see what you got. Or are they just going to tell him, look, you're, you're a reliever now. That's it. You're a reliever and you're, you know, you're going to start out as a right-handed specialist because you're good against right-handers. Um, we're going to groom you into that. And that could cause problems with the player because starters don't like being told that they can't be starters anymore. I hope it doesn't come to that. I hope that he's on the verge of expanding his his pitch arsenal arsenal and 
adding a third pitch, maybe even a fourth at some point. But the clock's ticking. You know, the, we're not talking about a 20, 21-year-old kid. What is he, 24 now? I mean, you know, we're talking about a He's 24. So we're talking about a guy that he wants to crack the major leagues pretty soon. Otherwise, you're looking at, you know, a guy who's going to be labeled as sort of a late bloomer. And you don't want to be labeled as that if you're a young pitcher trying to crack a major league roster. So he's got to get it going. Uh, the alt site, you know, hopefully them sending him there is a wake up call because, uh, you know, maybe getting called up last year was gave him a big head. And he said, oh, I, I can make this rotation. This team's, you know, not going anywhere. It's like, well. You weren't good enough to make the rotation this year. We're going to send you down to the alt site with still a couple weeks in spring training left. So get your act together, get your pitches sharpened up and figure it out because this guy was supposed to be, you know, the future on this team. And now it's looking like you, you got to prove to yourself to us that uh, you belong here. So hopefully he does that. Yeah. And really quick, going back to those three starts that they had where they kind of protected him against the teams he was facing. Yeah. Um, what he did, it's not like he earned any goodwill with Cora. I mean, Cora was watching from his couch. So, right now, if they had to, you know, get a guy for a second half of a doubleheader, Andres and Whitlock are probably in better favor with Cora to go ahead and start that game rather than have him drive in from Worcester for the day. So, yeah. he's really got to get his stuff together. And I really hope it happens. Yeah, definitely. Another thing about Glass now, though, that I, I think gets kind of missed is the the two pitch thing worked well until it didn't, which was in the postseason. You know, he started getting knocked around a little bit. So as the twenty twenty one season un, unfolds, you know, and gets underway, perhaps even he is gonna, you know, struggle with with only two pitches. I was desperate. And Glasnow's pitches are they're nastier than Hauk's too. Let's yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, you know, if anyone's much. gonna get away with it, it's the guy with the better graded pitches too. Yeah, I'm 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 gonna give up now. But I was trying to find the um, the stat cast thing for Hauk to to see exactly what he was throwing. Like, what would a third pitch for him be? Because he's got that delivery. So I mean, can you throw a change up? with that type of an arm slot or would it just have to be a curve? (laughs) Would it be a type of curve? You know, I, I don't know. It's just, you know, and I I don't have Chris sales, you know, stuff up and, and sales kind of a, a unique case too, because he's got a fastball that he could always gasp, but I mean, did it had a ton of movement on it? I, I don't think so. You know, he would just locate it wherever, and you know the the fastball up and away was one of his out pitches, and yeah, people stopped swinging at that. You know, so when yeah, when Sale was at like a hundred percent health, he could feature a two seamer at times that would go away from right handers and in towards left handers. But you know, after the injuries and stuff, he was more of a three pitch pitcher. Um, yeah. The the two seamer he didn't feature as much. Okay, yeah. So I just. You know, it, it's a lot easier for perhaps a guy like Erod to to with a more conventional delivery to develop a third and fourth pitch. But uh, yeah, so hopefully it works out because you guys know where I stand. Out of the three of us, I'm I'm the most negative. And if if Hauk was pitching well and, and likely, even if he wasn't going to make the opening day roster, likely going to be up within several weeks. 
my confidence rises with, mm. with a guy like him pitching yep. effectively. Um, so it, it was kind of a bummer for me to, to see him get sent down. But one of the things just kind of in the back of my mind, maybe he was just kind of overthinking it and, and trying a little too hard because maybe perhaps he felt like he could make the roster and just put a little bit more pressure on himself than was the case. I mean, I, I don't know, you know, but that's me just trying to get in his head a little bit. And now hopefully that he knows he's getting sent down. Maybe he'll chill out, kind of get it together and start pitching more like what we saw at the end of last season. So uh, interestingly, though, the Red Sox did not lose the game despite that rough start. And that was mostly because of Matt Andres, who I, (laughs) I, I, I don't like Garrett Richards, but. I've been a bigger pessimist from at least a a performance standpoint on on a guy like Andres because he's pitched for some good programs and just never produced. But yesterday goes out, pitches four innings of long relief, two hits, doesn't give up a run, only walked one, struck out three. So, so that's interesting. Yeah, I, it's looking pretty good, and I think he's going to be able to give them exactly what they're looking for with this new um, utility pitcher, as they're terming it. Uh, Spock goes. He's got, you know, throw nine innings so far as a .78 whip, only uh, three earned runs so far, which is great for a guy that you only signed for a couple million bucks. So if he's going to have his control under wraps like that, I feel he's one walk. Uh, that's that's great. That's going to be able to eat innings on every fifth day if I – Guy doesn't have it. Yeah, he's uh, one walk in 19 in, uh, batter's face. So I don't see how they can ask for anything better than that from him. Yeah, I mean, the the one walk is definitely – it's impressive. You know, his control has been impressive. Um, hopefully he doesn't start to float it out into the zone too much and get lit up because I don't think Andres' stuff is, like, overwhelming by any stretch. I think he's got decent stuff, but, you know, he's, he's a stretch guy. He, he's a stretch guy who's going to – probably get a few spot starts, you know, um, he's going to get some of those opener roles on this team, but you know, at the end of the day, I, I was not a fan of the signing and you have to keep in mind, this is when he came right after Hunter Renfro, I think Yeah, it was around that time. So this is when we thought it was just going to be, Oh, great. We're just going to sign a bunch of two, $3 million X rays to just kind of fill out the roster. And that's going to be it, you know? And then obviously blue made more moves going forward. Um, so I was a little bit critical of them when they signed him because I thought, okay, great, you got a stretch man, whoopee! Like you know, it's the team's still a mess. Um, he'll serve his role; he'll be useful this year. Um, he'll kind of be what they wanted Walden to be. They wanted Walden to be a stretch guy. They wanted him to be a guy that could pitch multiple innings when they needed to, but also just come in for one or two, just to kind of you know clean things up, keep things stabilized. So um, they're paying him almost nothing. Uh, he's looked good so far in the spring. I think he's comfortable with the role. He knows what his role is. So I'm okay with it. You know, I, I'm not going to like go out and buy a Matt Andrees Jersey anytime soon. I think he's, you know, he's probably here just for this year and that's it, but he'll serve a good role and hopefully he keeps his ERA in check. And as long as that ERA hovers around like three and a half, a little bit under four, I'll be happy. You know, if, if he starts to get lit up when he goes in, and he's, you know, that ERA is hovering around five and he's just proven that he can't 
know, he can't keep the ball out of the ballpark or in the ballpark rather then yeah, then it'll be a waste of money. But again, they're paying him almost nothing. So um, hopefully this keeps up. It'll be a good sort of low risk, high reward, you know, benefit for the Red Sox this year. Yeah. In my opinion, a successful season would be if you took his stats and you took Whitlock's stats, and if you added up their innings and their numbers, if you had like a number four starter um, total production, like a number three or number four, if you got like 130, 140 innings out of these guys with a sub four or hovering around four ERA, that I think would be a major success. Cause I do think they're going to lean on these guys um, on, you know, guy number four and guy number five in the rotation. I think we're going to see them uh, a few times a week. So that those are my hopes for those two. Yeah. I feel like some of these long relief guys, their, their ERAs tend to get inflated last. I can't remember if it was last year or the year before at this point, Colton Brewer, I thought had a much better year, but then when I went and looked on paper, I was like, Oh geez, that doesn't look too good. And I think it's just because they get tuned up for a number of runs on a given start, and it, it just gets inflated, and and the good, the good appearances kind of kind of get lost. And when they're in those situations, it's because they have to be. A, a guy like Colton Brewer and perhaps Matt Andres are going to find themselves in those positions because we're thin and just nobody else is available. So they're. They're going to be committed to to pitching three or four innings, you know, whether it's an open or somebody gets taken out early and then they come in in the third or fourth inning. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I guess as long as he keeps us in games, I, I guess that that's all that matters. He's not going to be here. I maybe he has an option. I, I don't have his contract up in front of me, but um, in all likelihood, a short term guy, one way or the other. Uh, another guy who just has looked good all all offseason. I forgot to write his pitching line down, but Nick Pavetta, I think, went, what, four innings yesterday, four or five innings, only gave up one run. Looking pretty solid, good control. And this could be one of those sneaky good trades that came out of nowhere. Yeah, I, I like Pavetta. I, I like the idea of Pavetta starting out in the rotation and actually getting a chance to be a full-time starter here. Um, he was a guy that always struggled in Philly, and Philly sort of waited for him for years. You know, they, they, they were high on him. He's got good stuff. The stuff's always been there. He's kind of the classic case of, like, the stuff's there, and when you see him pitch sometimes, you're like, wow, you know, it looks really good, but he just can't quite put it all together. He'll have, like, three good innings and then one disastrous inning. Um, I think that's why Philly got frustrated with him. But so far in the spring, uh, he's looked really good. He's looked solid. He looks like a guy that you can depend on if you put him in the rotation. So, you know, he's he's still pretty young. He's, you know, um, he's in a different scenario now. Change of scenery might help him. Um, again, I, I think he got, he was given up on in Philly. So he's, I kind of put him in the Whitlock category of like, that's a guy that, Another organization got frustrated with. They were impatient with him. They gave up on him, and now he's in a new scenario. He's got a chance to prove that he can be an everyday starter, and he can be a really good one. Um, if the stuff keeps up and and he keeps giving these consistent performances, then he's locked in as a good number three, number four option for this rotation, which 
at the end of the day, you know, with Sale waiting in the wings and Eduardo Rodriguez at the front, you can't go wrong with that. That's that's a really good, you know, again, they, they got him for nothing. I mean, they got him in, what, the Workman trade? So, yeah. you know, and Brandon Workman had to wait for how long to be signed in free agency. So, you know, you got him for nothing. Um, might as well throw him in the rotation, see what he's got. If, if he puts it all together, you've got yourself a really good middle of the rotation starter there. Yeah, 34 guys faced so far this season for Pavetta. One batter walked. I mean, no one could have seen that coming. They cleaned up his delivery. They shortened it up a little bit, which uh, seems to have done wonders for him because I'm going through his starts here. And on his March 15th one, he faced Tampa's uh, pretty much their opening day uh, lineup. So, you know, it's not the easiest lineup to face. And the one before that too, every single starter was in the lineup as well. So um, we're seeing mid-season Tampa batters there. And I, he's your number four and you could do a lot worse than that. And especially like Jason pointed out for what they gave up for him, they gave up nothing. And then you have him pitching or throwing about two miles an hour faster than he ever did in Philly. And you have Connor Seabolt throwing like three miles an hour faster than he ever did in Philly. I don't know what the, what they're like feeding these guys nowadays, but I, I, <laughs> I, I love it. I absolutely love it. This is a great uh, find on the front office's behalf in whatever like Dave Bush and his career are doing. This is great. Um, do I expect him to walk one guy every three starts? No, I expect more than that, obviously. I mean, we're not talking about a Cy Young guy a winner here. But if if he gives you enough to be a good number three or four in the AL East, this is amazing, especially since he's locked up under team control for another like four or five years. Yeah, it's it's a curious case. He's one of the more intriguing guys that's gonna be on our roster to see if what we're seeing ends up being legit and he does if, evolve into a solid starting pitcher and the one thing I'll be curious to see is as fans start to trickle back in and I I, I think we're going to get at least a third capacity by the end of the year if not maybe half capacity how will he handle the pressure the heckling and the insanity that goes with pitching in Boston, because I know Philly, that's a tough place to pitch. That fan base is every bit as brutal as, as Boston. I mean, they threw snowballs at Santa Claus as everyone famously knows. Um, So it's kind of a savage fan base. So if he continues to pitch well in that environment, that'll be extremely encouraging. And the national league East that's been a power hitters division for the most part, you know, in the last several years. And so isn't the American League East. And I, I think the the East is even stronger now with the Blue Jays getting getting stronger. So so all those factors are still gonna be there for Pavetta, and hopefully he continues to to show us what he has so far. Does he Kind of remind you guys, as far as this build goes, of Roy Halladay. I don't know. That's that's what I see a little bit. Not quite the velo because he tops out at what ninety six with the with the added velo this year. But he's just, yeah, he's he's a big guy. He's a big, he's definitely a big guy. guy. Yeah, so, yeah. 
Yeah. And another guy, too, wasn't Scherzer had a breakout year in 2013, and Red Sox fans are familiar with that because we were, you know, that was almost a, an arms race towards the playoffs. We knew we were going to play Detroit if we were going to win a championship. And that was his breakout year. And I kind of feel like Scherzer broke out a little later than what a lot of stud prospects probably would have done. I mean, he was 27, 28 years old when, by the time he had that breakout. So I'm not saying Nick Pavetta is going to be Max Scherzer, but we've seen guys find it a little later. So if if you want to be optimism, I'm just, I'm digging deep for it, but you know, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm pulling out. Uh, so yeah, I meant to, uh, dig into, uh, the, some of the moves today, because as I said, Hauk got sent to the alternate site. So did, is it Yairo Munoz? I, I keep forgetting how he pronounces yeah. his first name. Yeah. So he's down and he's been hitting well, but he only has like eight at bats. No, that's eight hits. Never mind. He's got 30 at bats. So he's hitting 444 and adios. So he's down to the alternate site. He has options. So that's um, most likely why they decided that. Jaron Duran has been sent down. No shocker there. I will say, though, he's hitting 318 in big league camp. Alex Verdugo hitting 100. So that's <laughs> kind of a weird thought, you know. But, uh, but you know, we, we knew that was going to happen. And obviously, Verdugo's just having a rough start. And he'll, in all likelihood, figure it out. But so Duran uh, also sent down. So no real surprises there. No, not for me. Um, especially when you look at, you know, a guy like Yara Munoz getting sent down. It's sort of like this is the best problem you could have for the Red Sox. You have so much depth that any of, the, any of these guys that have options, I don't care how good you're hitting. If you have options, you're going down because, you know, we, we have so much depth and we have so many guys that, you know, either have options or don't, that we've got to figure it out one way or the other. So Munoz is a guy that he's kind of bounced around a few teams anyway. So, you know, they're not exactly married to him. So you get sent down. Jaron Duran, I think we all knew he was getting sent down. I'm not worried about Verdugo's slow start because his spring training stats to me are so fluky. I mean, Jackie Bradley would be a Hall of Famer if it was for spring training stats only. So I'm not going to worry too much about it. I think they're they're making the right moves here. Yeah, and if you look at it, if the Red Sox last year, obviously it was a trash year, but if they had an outfielder go down for like four days or had to go on like paternity leave, you could have counted on that spot going over for every single one of those games. But now it's like, who do we call up? Do we call up Geddes? Do we probably don't want to call up Durant, but we could call up him. We could call up Munoz. You know, they have plenty of options here that they just optioned today. So I, I love the depth. It, the depth is probably going to be one of their saviors this year because I do, I still think that you're going to have some COVID issues. Not necessarily that guys are going to catch it, but you'll have close contact, like the barber, like had it. You know, they got a haircut, so now they're out for like four days precautionary. You gotta, you know, get the uh, wagon moving there. So I, I'm happy that they optioned these guys to the minors. It just shows our depth, and obviously they're here to stay. Uh, Munoz is on a minor league deal anyway, so it's not like they're gonna have to clear them through waivers or anything. 
Yeah, and the roster still is at 38. You still have guys like Jonathan Arauz up. You just <clears> mentioned <throat> Michael Geddes. I think Marcus Wilson is still up, plus a, a number of pitchers as well. So there, there's still cuts to be made. And, I mean, Arauz is having one of the better springs of anyone so far, and he has almost no chance of, of making the roster barring an injury or, like you said, covid or whatever. So what this likely means, uh, looking a little more forward, is that Michael Chavis is probably going to make the roster. And the, the reason why that is likely to happen is Franchi Cordero, a little bit behind because of his COVID situation. So he'll start uh, at the alternate site in... Um, Santana out with a foot infection. So by, you know, a series of events, Chavis is likely to, and they said Arroyo is likely to, but that the consensus among us the whole time has been Arroyo would likely make it regardless because he does not have an option. Unlike all the guys we've mentioned. So, so I guess the interesting thing there is can Chavis, force his way to stay could he just be so insane out of the gates it's it's a long shot but i would love it if he made that a major problem because that means he's playing well uh, yeah i just i i can't see a spot though unless there was an injury because i don't think they're gonna send Dahl back down at this rate even if he you know his batting average goes down 70 points he's still be in 260 and Arroyo, I don't think they want to cut ties with him. He's shown too much. I just don't see a spot. I don't think it would do Chavis any good to be a bench guy. But Marlon Gonzalez has looked great so far. So it's like, oh, my God. It, it, it's a great problem to have. And to Chavis's credit, he looks great. He actually looks like a corner infielder. He doesn't look like a stocky first baseman anymore. And he's in 273 and he's hit a couple high fastballs, which we all know was his Achilles heel. So yeah, he could definitely force you into a tough situation, but thank God he's got an option. He has at least one option. Uh, I think he will, he will make the the opening day roster. Um, He might make it as a bench guy, which might not be what he wants right out of the shoot, but he's at least not getting sent down to the minors because I think it's going to come down to like, they're going to have to choose between him and Arauz and Arauz is like what? 22. Like he's 22. He's got plenty of options. Like this is a guy that showed up last year out of nowhere and got playing time just because it was a COVID year. And you know, he was there, he filled some spots, but I would rather see Arauz get the 500 bats in the minors, especially now that they will have a full season down there. And see what you got out of a 22-year-old. Like, Chavis is 25, and he's played in the majors. He's had plenty of experience there. He's looked better this spring, although, you know, it took him a little while to get there. Um, maybe he sees time at second base. You know, maybe it's the kind of thing where it's, you know, they put Kike in center, Marwin in left, Chavis at second, Dahlbeck at first. You know, maybe that's your lineup because I don't think they want Hunter Renfro starting every day. Um so I think that Chavis could find playing time if he cracks a roster out of spring training. So hopefully he continues this, and that's the case, because we would love it if Chavis you know, showed you something and actually gave you a hard decision as to 
where do we put this guy? We got to find a spot for him in the lineup. Yeah. And the other interesting thing here too, is in the second half of the season, you could, I don't think it's going to happen still, but you could conceivably see a guy like Duran come up. You could see a guy like Jeter Downs come up. So it's like, will we ever see Jonathan R. at this point? But there's just so much higher end depth down there, but this is a roster that's built to avoid having to call those guys up and having to start the clock. So they would just have to be hitting at like an insane clip, much like Will Middlebrooks in, in 2012 when he took the job away from Kevin Euclid. I don't think anybody saw that coming at the start of the season. So I just there 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 is a lot of depth and Casas hasn't played A ball, correct? Uh, excuse me, double A, right? Not yet, as far okay. as I know. Yeah, so he's got no chance as far no, as Oh yeah, he won't be up this year. Yeah. 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 So it's interesting. But if even if a guy like Duran call, gets called up, that's definitely gonna bring Hernandez into the infield at that point, and it's just mm-hmm. all that much more unlikely to see Arauz and 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 maybe Arroyo finally does get get DFA'd, and and then Downs could get called up into the infield, and then he's going to play every day. So, and you can't really move him; he's a middle infielder. So you're not going to yeah for any of these middle infielders that aren't projected to start in Boston. There is. There has to be like four different moving pieces for them to see time. I don't think Aruz will be will see him at all. I think, I mean, that guy barely had a handful of at bats in Double A before he got selected in the Rule Five draft. So it was just out of necessity where they had to keep him up. Yeah. Um, so I don't even count on him. But yeah, Downs would be an interesting one closer to the summer. Uh, hopefully, I mean, damn, if Arroyo is hitting and Downs is also hitting down there. You might be able to – I mean, we're looking at potential trade pieces, probably not downs, but, like, second base is kind of bleak throughout the league. So if Arroyo established some sort of trade value, I mean, I think that would be best-case scenario here. So this this might be a, a dumb question, but now that – because Arroyo was a Rule 5 guy last year. Mm-hmm. Now that he's not, does he have a full set of options? He does. Oh, yeah. He, he okay, can go he right down to the minors. So there they you go. About, yeah, they have him for six years now at this point. Okay. So, yeah, that, that's the guy that if, if anyone gets hurt, it, you know, they'll call him up because they don't care about, you know, there's no starting the clock, you know, quote unquote with him or anything like that. <laughs> so right. he's going to be more of a spot filler. I don't think that that's. He's not going to factor into the long-term equation is what I mean. No. Yeah, he's expendable. They got him for nothing. So, you know, if they end up losing him for nothing in a couple years, negligible. (laughs) Right. Right. Correct. Uh, Another interesting thing that I just saw tonight when I was jotting my notes down, Kevin McCarthy, who we got from the Royals, uh, projected Mm -hmm. to be a reliever if he made the team, has an opt-out if – if he doesn't make the team. So I don't know if that puts pressure on the front office to find a way to keep him into the bullpen or not. You know, I think in a normal year, yes, but isn't like Shane green and, or Chad green. I can never remember which one it is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's still a free agent out there. Um, There's definitely guys better than Kevin McCarthy. So I I think these guys are going to, maintain a steady paycheck rather than play the uh i'll opt out if you don't let me because i think bloom be like 
okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Bizardo, you're like you're you're up. <laughs> We're not too worried about you opting out at this point. So I don't, yeah. I think he has zero leverage going on, unfortunately for him. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't think Kevin McCarthy is a future Mariano Rivera, so I, I don't think. Uh, I don't think the Reds like to be too worried if a 29 year old journeyman from Kansas City was like, "Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna opt out. I'm. I'm. You know, I'm worth more than what I'm getting here." It, okay, go ahead, dude. We'll fill your spot. Yeah, I mean, I I just think of Brazier probably not making the team because he had an injury. As uh, did I put that in the group? He. Did something he broke his, his finger. Oh, his yeah. finger. Like okay, the, t- the tip of his finger right before Thanksgiving. Okay, and then he was he had, where he was going to have the surgery, and now I think he had a death in the family or something oh. like that. They were at, yeah, they were talking about it yeah. on the broadcast today. Bradford was. They haven't disclosed what it was. Um, they're trying to keep it personal, but yeah, I guess it was a death that he was dealing with. Oh, hopefully not a a child or something. Um. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that that's kind of my mindset on McCarthy. I'm just trying to think of the depth we have. We have high leverage depth, obviously. Darwin's and Hernandez has not given up a run yet in in spring training. He's had some walks, which yeah. uh, doesn't shock anyone. That's the issue. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So, um, but yeah, and you got Ottavino, Barnes pitching well, so you're not really worried about the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. You're just kind of looking at depth. So, so perhaps a guy like McCarthy does opt out, uh, or just accepts uh, some type of a, an assignment. But yes, all right. So coming up on the 45 minute mark, uh, I'm not going to pick on Dahlbeck for having five out of his nine hits being home runs and how extremely realistic and sustainable that's going to be. But He's uh, hitting 125 this year. I did the math. It's great. <laughs> by the time he finishes his last year arbitration, he'll just have passed Barry Bonds by 10 home runs. I, I did all the math the other day. That's great. Yeah, he keeps I mean, up this pace. Yeah, <laughs> meanwhile, I've got I've got CJ Crone's baseball reference page bookmarks. <laughs> On my browser, just so I can pull that up mid-season, be like, mm, yeah, mm. <laughs> looking like CJ Crone 2.0. Yeah, no, you know who he is, and I really like the batting average and OBP will add up to it. He's Chris Gallo? Davis with a oh, K. Yeah. Oh, okay. He really is. If he hits oh, right. 240 with a three, I think a 330 OBP. Chris Davis finished eighth in the MVP voting and finished like. 15th the year uh year before that so that and Dahlbeck has value I am a huge Dahlbeck fan and I this is I will go down with this ship and I don't think I would I don't think I'll have to (laughs) I hope I hope the ship stays afloat myself but uh I just I don't know I'm just a little uh a little more pessimistic at least as far as the first half of the season goes um but he he could prove me wrong. We just got insane depth. I mean, I had Charlie and Job on two episodes ago, and it's always the later third of the episode we try to tackle that. And there's there's like forty different scenarios with each player having like four. Like, what do you do with Marwin? It's hard to find Marwin a spot, especially once Cordero comes up. Like, how's Marwin gonna get at bats? And Hernandez is gonna be your number one or two 
hitter in the lineup. So he's he's playing 140 games at least. So um, yeah, none of these guys should get tired. That's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> no one's starting seven days a week this year. So it's just insane how the the Ooh. dynamics of this roster is built and. We'll see. I mean, the lineup's going to be interesting every day. I mean, it's almost going to be suspenseful. Who's who's in it? Where the hell are they playing? You know, so. <laughs> yeah, all right. So other big news, which kind of come out of nowhere. LeBron James, now a part owner of the Red Sox. I guess it's a super minority stake, like a tiny stake, but uh, a minority owner nonetheless basketball rival on a couple of different teams. You know, when we were playing Miami, we got to game seven played. I can't remember. Did we play Cleveland that year? Did they toss us out in the second, the year they won? Oh, we played Cleveland way too many damn years when LeBron yeah. was there. Played Cleveland a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he knocked us out in Miami, knocked us out in Cleveland. Yeah. It's, seen a lot of him. The only thing, <laughs> you know, weirder would be Rodriguez, Alex Rodriguez buying a stake uh, in, in the team, <laughs> given rivalries. But go ahead. What are uh, what are your thoughts on LeBron? I'm so happy about this, honestly. And actually, it's I think it's a little bit bigger of a stake than normal. Um, I think he went in with uh, Redbird, uh, which is a New York-based firm. So they're going to have an 11% stake in uh, Fenway Sports Group. Wow. And Prior to this, LeBron, I think, owned a sliver of Liverpool with them. I think he bought it in 2011. So he knows Henry and uh, Co. pretty well. And I think this is great. I, you know, I, he's obviously not going to be the face of the franchise, but if they use him to their advantage when you're courting a free agent, because, you know, all these guys under like 28, the ones they should be going after, um, he's the God to them. He, he's probably the most marketable athlete in the world. So if they use them like uh, Nick Saban and coach K do, you know, they're at a recruits house and they're like, Oh, you know, let me, uh, let me call up. Um, who, who's from Alabama. Let me, you got um, Eddie Romero down the Dominican Dominican Republic talking to a 15 year old. Let me just get LeBron on the phone really quick. And they, they do this and they, Hey, what's up, man? Like, yeah, come to Boston. Like, I'll give you a pair of LeBron soldiers. <laughs> this is gonna be great. So i I think it's I think it's cool. I, I really do. I mean, don't get me wrong. I hate LeBron, the basketball player, but everything else about LeBron, I, I think is super influential. And I don't see any downside to this. I, I know people are like, oh, he's a Yankees fan, but so what is he gonna do? Sabotage the Red Sox? And <laughs> you know, it, it wouldn't benefit him. Like he's out to make money. LeBron makes money. That guy is filthy rich. Everything he touches turns to gold. So uh yeah, I'm super interested to see where this goes. Yeah, I, I think that's the right word for it. It's cool. The the Red Sox are finally cool for the first time in many, many years. Um and I get why Boston fans are so torn on it. Because, you know, Boston fans have long memories. So you get a lot of Celtics fans that are still butthurt because he beat you in the playoffs a couple of times. And, oh, all he does is whine to the refs. And he's like, okay, fine, whatever. Forget about that. Forget about LeBron on the court. This is LeBron, the business guy. This is LeBron, the owner. And you've got the greatest basketball player of his generation that now has part ownership in your team. And 
that is not something to be ignored when it comes to like free agent signings because more and more we're seeing this is a trend in sports guys they don't always take just the biggest contract sometimes they do but a lot of times it, it guys go, they want to go somewhere where it means something they want to go play for an owner that they like or they want to go play somewhere where it's like they've got swagger and you know the Red Sox have swagger for the first time in a long time it's not just you know boring ass John Henry and uh and Werner at the table, you know, negotiating. Now it's, you know, LeBron's going to be part of that. So that's going to help you in free agency. Um, I also just think, like, why is it harmful to have LeBron as, as a part owner? Like, he's he's a philanthropist. He means a lot to, you know, his community. Like, he does a lot of community work. So this is nothing but a net positive for the Red Sox um, on so many levels. And, look, I... He's a part owner, okay? He's a minority owner. So it's not like he's going to be, you're right, he's not going to be the face of the franchise. It's not like if the Red Sox have do a press conference, LeBron's not going to be sitting up there with Henry and Warner, right? He, he's probably not going to be in the picture that much. But it still helps a little bit. And I don't know. I, I just, I think this is nothing but a net positive. I know Boston will be divided on it because Boston is just, kind of become a city of crybabies. Um, <laughs> so, you know, too bad for them. Um, but I love it. I, I think it's nothing but good for this franchise. They needed a little bit of swagger. They needed a little bit more, to use a you know a bad term here, but like sex appeal. The Red Sox needed a little bit of that. And LeBron absolutely brings that. You know, look at Jeter. Jeter, it, who wants to sign with the Miami Marlins? Nobody wanted to go sign that, but then J- Jeter becomes the owner and, well, it's Derek Jeter. Okay. You know, Pat Mahomes owning part of the Kansas City Royals. Who the hell wants to go play in Kansas City? Right? It's it's, it's Kansas City, but uh, okay. Mahomes is there and he won a Super Bowl there. That might be a pretty cool place to go. I'm going to go sign in Kansas City. That's what Boston has now. And Boston already had the big market appeal to begin with. They've already got the fact that they're a historic franchise. You now add LeBron as a minority owner to the mix. This is going to be a nice destination for free agents going forward. And one thing LeBron was doing in the, uh, I think it was last offseason, he was going to create a Team LeBron under the Jordan brand. So imagine pitching a guy like Trevor Story, like you get your own like cleat line. Are you yep. kidding me? Like that'd be unbelievable. So you go to a Dick Sporting Goods and you get like the T Story fours. <laughs> like, that'd be yeah. awesome, you know? Like Verdugo, you know, would sign up for life just to be part of that brand. This so. is what this is what millennial athletes want. They want their own shoe brand. They want to be on cereal boxes. They want to be on commercials. LeBron That's a brings great that point. possibility. Yep. Yeah, they don't care about history anymore. They care about they what's don't. cool. No. I mean, and I don't blame them. <laughs> You're not going to lure someone to the Red Sox with like, hey, you could be the next Carl Yastrzemski. Because all these millennial athletes go, who's that again? <laughs> he had like 3,000 hits, right? Was he pretty good? Like, they don't care. They really, it, it's sad to say a little bit, but they don't care about the history of the Red Sox or the history of Fenway Park. They care about how are you going to market me, right? A- am I going to be on billboards? Am I going to be on commercials? Can I get my face on a bag of chips like Jason Tatum did? Like, that's what they care about. And LeBron presents that opportunity. And that's nothing but a positive. Well, I'm, I'm the representative of the, you know, the pissed off fans, unfortunately, out of the three of us. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm going to kind of be their hero for a second. 
but you know, you guys, you guys mentioned the the players and the free agents that perhaps LeBron will attract and 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 the marketability, but. You know, I'm thinking more of the fans in general because LeBron, love him or hate him, he is a polarizing guy uh, and on a multitude of levels, whether it's on the court, whether it's with activism or whatever. And I just feel like, you know, if he if he speaks out about something that's going to be socially divisive, you're going to have a, a fan base that's split in half that's fighting each other because, Oh, LeBron said this and LeBron said that. And, and you're going to have a fan base at odds. Maybe, maybe it blows over quick and it, it doesn't matter in the long run. But I just, if I'm a team owner, I just, I want my, my fan base united. And so I'm not sure really, I'm not sure we really needed LeBron. I, I don't think John Henry and company needs LeBron's money. And when you look at the Durant signing, I feel so uncomfortable talking about basketball because I'm not like a basketball guy. But I remember when we were pursuing him, they sent David Ortiz. They sent Tom Brady. They did everything they could try to do to get Durant here. And he, he went with Golden State. And why wouldn't he? I mean, that was a super team. Like when when have we seen a team like that? Yeah, you might. Don't you have to go back to the Bulls? If I'm not we 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 did finish second in that one, and I will say we also <laughs> sent Kelly Olynyk, which uh, probably undid all of Brady's and Ortiz's influence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's kind of where I'm at, and I, I'm hoping, like you guys said, he's you know he isn't going to be the face of the of the franchise, and and who's to say he doesn't. The Mets aren't going to be for sale anytime soon, but another team might be. Who's to say he doesn't want a majority ownership at some point? I think what this will do, and I think this actually speaks more of Henry and Co. I don't think they're done. I think they want to scoop up any asset they possibly can. Uh, We all know they wanted to go international. They wanted to bring on Billy Bean to go run the international soccer aspect of this before that all fell apart. And actually that's what opened this up, uh, this opportunity for LeBron when that last sale went, went through or fell through rather. Um, I, I think it was a Boston Globe article, so you know they're getting the inside facts on that. Uh, they wanted to pursue more soccer teams. They wanted to pursue a hockey team. They wanted to pursue a few other things. So I think they want to be one of the premier influential like sp- uh, sporting group owners in the world. I think they want to be everywhere. I think they want to be like the number one. And now they have the backing to do it and – with more and more names, I think that they're going to be able to bring on more investors. And I honestly, at the end of the day, I don't think we're going to see LeBron hanging out at Fenway Park at the end of his career. So to the fans that are a little more pessimistic about this, I think it's going to be more of like when Jay-Z, oh, I'm doing air quotes for no one that can see me, but uh, owned the Nets. He was he had no no say in there. So um, don't worry too much. They can just use this as a marketing ploy and um, it just to attract people and just to, you know, maybe bring on a younger group of fans. Cause we do know the sport does need a younger group of fans. Um, that is where they are lacking right now. Yeah. And, and to your point, Terry, as far as a perception, if LeBron does speak out against something or whatever, I don't think the headline's not going to read, 
Red Sox part owner LeBron James says blah blah blah. It's going to be Lakers star LeBron James or NBA superstar. That's always what he's going to be labeled as first, especially being a minority owner. If it's 10, 11%, whatever it is, like people are not, I don't think people in Boston are going to say, oh, did you hear LeBron the other day? I'm going to boycott the Red Sox because a guy who owns 11% of the team said something that I don't like. Like, and to be fair, if fans do that, that's insane. I mean, that's just, that's insane. I mean, I'm a hardcore Bruins fan. I hate Jeremy Jacobs to the core. I, I hate him with all my heart and soul. Oh, by him. But, you know, <laughs> but I watch the Bruins every night. And so I don't think that LeBron is going to turn away anybody if he speaks out publicly against something. And to be fair, most of the stuff he speaks out against are stuff that he needs to speak up for. You know, it's not like he's out there saying, you know, horrible things that, you know, people are astonished by. Um, but the headline will always read NBA superstar or Los Angeles Lakers superstar. The fact that he's a minority owner in the Red Sox, that only is going to come into play when you're trying to lure free agents or you're trying to do stuff with marketing. Because then you bring that up. Then you bring um, oh, by the way, you know, LeBron and, and Maverick Carter, they're here, you know, so they'll they'll help you with your marketing once you get here. Yeah, I still have a feeling fans will get triggered. I mean, if he's prominently plastered on the news for a day, I mean, we're fans are going to chirp, I feel like. But hopefully, like I said, it's just something that's brief and you know I mean it's we're, it's we're, Boston fans always yeah. chirp. <laughs> You're not going to stop that. So. Hopefully Chris Sale starting the next night and it's against the Yankees and you know. <laughs> but you <laughs> if we do start seeing brawls in the stands then I you know I'm blaming LeBron. Um kidding. So all right. Um we're at almost an hour exactly uh any final thoughts? Not really. Um, you know, one guy that I'm still keep my eye on and I'm the most impressed with spring training right now, Garrett Whitlock. So mm-hmm. I think he might be oh no, they're off day tomorrow. And uh, I think yeah. he's next game though, he's scheduled to pitch. So he's my I keep my eye on him and I I advise everyone else to as well. Yep. I, I've been all aboard the Garrett Whitlock hype train since the start of spring training and I said it in the chat the other day. I don't know if there's, you know, a spot for him in the rotation right now, but if you had to bet between Tanner Houck or Garrett Whitlock making the rotation first, who are you betting on? Because I know where my money's going. And he's definitely a guy to look to keep an eye on because his stuff's awesome. He's been pitching great. I hope he keeps it up and I'm glad he's here. Well, Andrew, expand on that because Jason has expressed um the the possibility or maybe the hope that that Whitlock could be a starter. What what are your thoughts on that? I would love it. I just rule five draft history. I even sent Johan Santana wasn't even a starter, you know, going back and especially coming off Tommy John. I just, I, I think they're going to be just baby him along the way for a while. Um, for at least this season, because there's, they're, they're going to try to develop him because he, he's not a fully developed pitcher at this point. So, you know, take advantage of him this year. Um, maybe even see him go down to the minors next year and uh, when they're fully protected and develop even more. So just get through this year. Uh, hopefully he gives you whatever he can. If you have to ghost injury him to the IL for a while, you got to do it. And uh, But, yeah, I, I'm expecting decent things out of him just based off what he's shown so far. 
Yeah, and I mentioned Darwin's in, not giving up a run, but the the walks are there, so mm-hmm. maybe he could be the stud closer that that emerges as well. I mean that. Oh, that would just, that inning, be great. That <laughs> inning is completely open to interpretation right now. We know Barnes is going to get it, but we also know there's a cliff somewhere ahead of him, and he's going to go ass over tea kettle for a week or two. <laughs> Uh, Inevitably, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that I'm rooting against him. I like Barnes, but I just feel like we, you know, we we know Kenny always gets killed at the end of South Park. So I just feel like it's a it's a <laughs> it's a similar script. So all right, for the listening audience, we'll probably be back. I'm guessing Sunday. That's been the pattern. Um, Evoldi pitches this weekend, so that will. Uh, kind of bear watching. Hopefully he gets through the order at least a couple of times with uh, with no hiccups, but but there'll be plenty to talk about this weekend, so we will talk to you then. Take care.